Please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm pulled in a dozen different directions or more. What are the things that make demands on you? This sermon will suggest some challenging questions and then leave you to wrestle with them. Some of you have read the novel To Kill a Mockingbird, or maybe you've seen the movie. The story is about Atticus Finch, a white lawyer in a small town in Alabama during the Depression. The story is told from the perspective of Scout, Atticus' daughter. The story revolves around Atticus' decision to serve as defense attorney for Tom Robinson, a black man who was wrongly accused. But it is a smaller side story that came to mind for today's sermon, a story that didn't make it into the movie. The town's reaction to Atticus' decision to defend Tom Robinson blatantly displays their racism. People say the most mean-spirited things about Atticus to daughter Scout and her brother Jem. One tirade of insults comes from a neighbor woman, Mrs. DuBose. After tolerating days of repeated insults from all sources toward their father, Jem can tolerate no more and he snaps. In a fit of anger, Jem cuts the buds and leaves off the tops of every prized camellia bush in Mrs. DeBose's yard. Atticus tells Jem to go talk to Mrs. DeBose about what he's done. Jem goes. Jem returns and reports that he made his apology and he cleaned up the mess. But there's one more thing. Mrs. DuBose wants Jem to go read to her every day, to read aloud to her for two hours, for a month. And Atticus tells his son that yes, he must go do this thing. So Jem begins the next day with Sister Scout in tow, going to the dark and dreary home of the very ill and cantankerous Mrs. DuBose to read aloud to her. Day after day they go. Each day they go, and Jem reads, and they wait for the sound of the alarm clock that signals a dose of medicine for Mrs. DuBose, the sound of the alarm clock that signals their freedom for the day. Every day, a little more time passes before that alarm goes off. Every day, they stay a little bit longer and a little bit longer until one day they are relieved of the chore for good. And then, about a month later, Mrs. DuBose dies. Atticus tells the news to Jem. She's dead, son, said Atticus. She died a few minutes ago. Oh, said Jem. Well. Well is right, said Atticus. She's not suffering anymore. She was sick for a long time. Son, didn't you know what her fits were? Jem shook his head. Mrs. DuBose was a morphine addict, said Atticus. She took it as a painkiller for years. The doctor put her on it. She'd have spent the rest of her life on it and died without so much agony but she was too contrary. Sir, said Jem. Atticus said, just before your escapade, she called me to make her will. 
Dr. Reynolds told her she had only a few months left. Her business affairs were in perfect order, but she said, there's still one thing out of order. What was that? Jem was perplexed. She said she was going to leave this world beholden to nothing and nobody. Jem, when you're sick as she was, it's all right to take anything to make it easier. But it wasn't all right for her. She said she meant to break herself of it before she died, and that's what she did. Jem said, you mean that's what her fits were? Yes, that's what they were. Most of the time you were reading to her, I doubt if she heard a word you said. Her whole mind and body were concentrated on that alarm clock. If you hadn't fallen into her hands, I'd have made you go read to her anyway. It may have been some distraction. Did she die free? asked Jem. Free as the mountain air, said Atticus. You know, she was a great lady. A lady? Jem raised his head. His face was scarlet. After all those things she said about you, a lady? She was. She had her own views about things, a lot different from mine, maybe. Son, I told you that if you hadn't lost your head, I'd still have made you go read to her. I wanted you to see something about her. I wanted you to see what real courage is, instead of getting the idea that courage is a man with a gun in his hand. Courage is when you know you're licked before you begin, but you begin anyway, and you see it through, no matter what. You rarely win, but sometimes you do. Mrs. DuBose won, all 98 pounds of her. According to her views, she died beholden to nothing and nobody. She was the bravest person I ever knew. Who or what are you beholden to? This week's readings in our stewardship study ask the questions, What do I own? And what owns me? There are so many ways to think about these questions, to think about what this means. There are so many ways to think about what has a claim on us, or to think about where our loyalties lie. Many things in life make demands upon us. When Dave Atkinson spoke on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, he brought up the New Testament's talk of slavery. He used this phrase that we hear or use commonly, the idea of working for the man, so to speak. He said, we are all slaves of a sort, to the extent that we all have human masters we serve, and that we do this in order to take care of our material needs. And Dave reminded us of Jesus' words, to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. In Jesus' lesson, Caesar represents government or worldly interests. The other part of that quote is to give to God what belongs to God. And Dave framed that whole picture with the reminder that above the claim our work or any human master makes upon us, or the claim our material needs make upon us, above all that, we're all called to serve God. If you weren't here Labor Day weekend, I highly recommend you go online and listen to the podcast of the two speakers who brought our sermon that day. In our reading from the Hebrew scriptures this morning, Joshua challenges the Hebrew people. 
Joshua acknowledges all the local and tribal gods competing for the loyalties of the people. And then he issues his challenge. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Our reading from Paul's letter to the Romans says, pay to all what is due to them. Taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due. Owe no one anything except to love one another. What do you own? What owns you? Who or what are you beholden to? What belongs to God and what belongs to Caesar? Do you choose one of the many competing gods with a lowercase g, these smaller so-called gods clamoring for our attention? Or do you choose to serve the one God? who may be known by different names, by different peoples and different faiths, but who is the sacred and mysterious Holy One. Choose whom you will serve, says Joshua. And what do you owe to whom? To whom do you owe taxes or revenue or respect? What do you owe? Or can you pare down your debt to the debt of love we all owe one another? These are tricky questions to wrestle with. These questions get to the heart of how we understand our identity, how we understand our obligations. There are so many ways to think about these questions, to think about what it all means. There are so many ways to think about what has a claim upon us, or to think about where our loyalties lie. Did she die free? Jem asked about Mrs. DuBose. Free as the mountain air, said Atticus. Mrs. Dubose said she was going to leave this world beholden to nothing and nobody, and by her way of thinking, she did just that. By my way of thinking, from my perspective and my Christian theology, she was, of course, beholden to God, as we all are, always. But she was no longer beholden to the drug morphine, no longer held captive by the claim it had upon her for so long. This character in this novel believes that addiction made her beholden to something she was not willing to be beholden to. What do we believe? Who or what are we willing to be beholden to? Or where do we draw those lines? At what point do we say we are unwilling to be beholden? There is a freedom in knowing ourselves as beholden to God. There is a freedom in acknowledging God's claim upon our lives. There are many alternatives. We may be claimed by anxiety over our social status or over material security. We may be claimed by addiction to substances, as Mrs. DuBose was. We may be claimed by the burden of an overwhelming schedule or by a host of demands placed upon us. There are many things that make demands on us. But we do not agree to be claimed by every interest that tries to claim us. We do not give in to every demand made of us. When we talk about stewardship, in the way we talked about it last week, hand in hand with discipleship, we are talking about a way of life 
but involves being caretakers on God's behalf of all that has been entrusted to us. The path of Christian stewardship is a path made up of choices that move us toward God's claim on us and away from demands that are not consistent with God's claim. The path of Christian stewardship is a path of discerning which choices about what we allow to claim us are aligned with our values and which choices take us off course. The God who claims us is a source of life, the source of our lives. The God who we belong to asks us to let God mold and shape our lives. The God we are beholden to gives us abundant gifts of time and energy and skills and material resources and the qualities of our personalities. And God gives us these gifts as gifts entrusted to faithful stewards, gifts to be carefully tended, used responsibly, and shared open-heartedly. These are the choices God sets before us, not unlike the choice Joshua set before the Hebrew people. Choose this day whom you will serve. These are not easy choices. The choices we make as to who and what we will allow to claim our lives. What makes demands on you? A theology of Christian stewardship asks us to see that God is ultimately the one and the only one we are beholden to. A life of Christian discipleship asks us to make choices that prioritize God's claim on us over the other demands life places upon us, to juggle the demands of the world in ways that are faithful to how God calls us. God chooses you. God calls you by name. May you feel God's claim upon you as a loving embrace, and may you gratefully live a life that places God's claim first. Amen.